When we talk about wisdom, it's important to note that contrary to the adage that ignorance is bliss, the book of Proverbs clearly tells us that it is not ignorance, but wisdom that is bliss. If we think of bliss as that state of blessedness, that state of contentment, it's not ignorance, it's not folly, it's not naivete that in any way brings that state of contentment in a truly spiritual sense. As we see in the book of Proverbs and throughout the Scriptures, what brings us to a state of blessedness, a state of contentment, a state of joy and happiness is when we live rightly in the eyes of our Creator and Redeemer. It's when we live skillfully in this world in a way that honors and glorifies Him. That is the state of bliss. But that is not a state that we just fall into. That is not a state that comes naturally. It's not a state into which we're born. It is a state that is arrived at through a very earnest process, and ultimately, it's only possible because of the grace of God. Well, what is wisdom? How can we define wisdom? Wisdom is a very important word in the Scriptures. It's a very important word in the Old Testament, and it's especially an important word in the book of Proverbs. It's found many, many times, dozens of times in the book of Proverbs. In fact, we call the book of Proverbs a a book of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. And that's for a reason, because it focuses on this topic. It it uses the Hebrew word, it's based on the Hebrew word chokmah. And if we would look into that Hebrew word, we'd find that the the essence or or the, the center of that word, chokmah, is the idea of skill. It's the idea of skill. Wisdom, chokmah, is skill, particularly skill in living. Having the ability to live rightly, to live successfully, that is wisdom. It's to be distinguished from what we might call IQ. It's to be distinguished from what we might call intelligence or even knowledge. Those things are different. You can, be, you can have a lot of knowledge. You can have a very high IQ, 165 or, or higher, and still be very foolish. But you cannot be wise and foolish at the same time. One writer, Jim Newhauser, describes wisdom this way in his book, Opening Up Proverbs. It's a very good definition, and this is what he states. The essence of wisdom is skill, the ability to do a job. The wisdom offered by the book of Proverbs is skill for living. The goal of wisdom is that you might achieve a life of beauty and significance so that at the end of your days, while you have accomplished something that is worthwhile and lasting. Another writer Another commentator, Tremper Longman, defines wisdom this way. Again, the wisdom, 
of the book of Proverbs is the skill of living. It is a practical knowledge that helps one know how to act and how to speak in different situations. Wisdom entails the ability to avoid problems and the skill to handle them when they present themselves. Wisdom also includes the ability to interpret other people's speech and writing in order to react correctly to what they are saying to us. End quote. It's a very helpful definition of wisdom, and it focuses on this practical knowledge. This knowledge results in, in practice, in being able to, to, to know how to act in various situations, in being able to know how to avoid problems, and then how to act when those problems present ourselves. That's wisdom, that's skill in living. Richard Mayhew, in his book, Practicing Proverbs, gives this definition, and, 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 and this is another really good definition. He says this, Wisdom reflects the intent and discipline to make godly choices in a world filled with sinful distractions and detours. Wisdom represents the culmination of knowing and understanding carried to its practical and ultimate end. Wisdom involves knowing the facts of divine revelation in Scripture as well as understanding them in the sense of comprehending God's intention that those things lead to a life of redemption and practical sanctification. Wisdom then engages the human intellect and will to translate this knowledge and understanding into a pattern of godly experience as the habit of one's life, end quote. That is a very helpful definition. And again, it focuses on this idea of knowing how to act, being able to live successfully, especially when we consider the fact that we're not in the Garden of Eden. We're outside the Garden of Eden in a, in a world that is cursed. And more than that, we are those who are born into a state of having foolishness bound up in our hearts. We are not born in a way that knows how to live successfully. We don't stumble into it by accident. It only comes as a result of God's special revelation, His special work in revealing Himself to us. And then in our response to that by obeying and applying that which He has revealed. You could look at it this way. If we were to, to use this graphic to illustrate it, wisdom is applied knowledge. It's the right knowledge and it's applied knowledge. And it's applied knowledge on various levels. First and foremost, wisdom is applied knowledge in relationship to God, who God is. It's right living first and foremost and ultimately in His sight, living according to His ways. That's wisdom. It is also applied knowledge with respect to ourselves, understanding who God has created us to be, understanding the impact of Adam's sin in our lives, and then understanding God's redemptive activity and how that relates to us. Wisdom is also applied knowledge to the family, knowing how to live as a husband, knowing how to live successfully as a father. That's wisdom. It applies to neighbor. 
It's applied knowledge as we think of our necessary uh, responses and relationships with those around us. Both the literal neighbors who live right next to us and those figurative neighbors, those who, who providentially come across our path. It is also applied knowledge to society, understanding how we are to relate to and live in this culture. That's wisdom. And that's not easy. And then finally, it also includes the applied knowledge to know how we are to relate to creation. And that's why you'll even hear these proverbs about properly treating the ox. And that's, uh, that's to show that God's wisdom is, is not relegated to a particular area in life. Wisdom isn't relegated to the area of the sacred, and then you have the area of the secular where you yourself determine what you want to do. No, the wisdom of God gives us the knowledge that we need when properly applied to live successfully in response to every area of life. There is no distinction between the sacred and the secular. All of it falls under the dominion and lordship of God. And he has given us a word that relates to all of those areas. Well, last week we looked at the topic of folly. We looked at what does come naturally to us. We looked at that, that bentness, that innateness of foolishness in our lives. And we looked at those nine lessons. I'll read these quickly because as you're going to see this evening... As we look at wisdom and pursuing wisdom, you're going, to see a lot of, you're going to see a lot of parallels here in an antithetical way. Here are the nine characteristics about folly from the book of Proverbs. Number one, folly is man's natural inclination. Number two, folly places confidence in self. Number three, folly refuses to heed correction. Number four, folly rejects the law of cause and effect. Number five, folly flaunts sin and mocks holiness. Number six, folly speaks destructively. Number seven, folly rushes to anger. Number eight, folly reaps judgment. And number nine, folly spreads grief. Folly spreads grief, the collateral damage that comes from that natural tendency, that natural nature of man, it spreads grief. There's collateral damage. And let me just say this. One of the things I didn't mention last week, we didn't have time, but, but this, this point in particular about the grief that comes from follies is one of those areas where our culture just is refusing to acknowledge this. If you look at what is happening today, there's this refusal to acknowledge this reality. Our world wants to live enjoying folly, but denying the consequences. Proverbs 13 verse 20, for example, says, you walks with the wise will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Not even just the fools, but those who associate with the fools. And we see in our culture today, there is this twistedness that wants to say, I want to be able to be a companion of fools and not have to face the consequences. And if I do, it's injustice. And Solomon says, no, if you make the choice to hang around fools, it is reality 
that you will reap. And that reality is grief. It's what you're to expect. It's not injustice. It's justice. Don't hang around with fools. Don't make them your heroes. Folly spreads grief. The collateral damage is immense. Now, in antithesis to these nine, we're going to look quickly tonight at nine truths about wisdom from the book of Proverbs. We'll spend most of our time in the first five, and I'll let you look at the the last four in more detail on your own. Nine truths about wisdom from the book of Proverbs, and by surveying these truths about wisdom, we'll be in a better place to pursue it. Number one, wisdom originates in God alone. Now remember, point number one of our lesson on folly was that folly is man's natural inclination. And so naturally, logically, the first truth about wisdom is that wisdom originates in God alone. Wisdom is not innate to you. You are not born with wisdom. And neither will you accidentally fall into wisdom, no matter how long you live. You'll, you'll gather some basic principles by trial and error, and you'll learn some lessons the hard way. But true wisdom, skill in living, is not acquired by accident. It's not innate to you. It's not something that just comes with time. Wisdom is not innate to man. We, we saw that last week, Proverbs twenty two fifteen. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. It's only the rod of discipline that removes it far from him. Rather, wisdom is found in God alone. And we must acknowledge that fact. If we desire to live successfully in this world, there's only one one starting point then that comes from that. That is, we must look to God. Wisdom originates in God alone. Proverbs 2 verse 6 Listen to these words, Proverbs 2, verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. This is as direct as it gets. You will not find true wisdom in any other source, ultimately, than from the Lord. And notice this. The text doesn't say that wisdom comes from the divine. Solomon is very specific here. Notice the word that he uses, the title, the name. Now, in our translations, it's the name Lord. But this, this title, Lord, found in, in uppercase letters, is a specific reference to the personal name of God in Hebrew, the name Yahweh. And that name is only used of the one true God, the God of Israel, the God who revealed Himself to Moses through the burning bush and ultimately through Jesus Christ. And so Solomon is saying here is not that wisdom is found in any kind of talk of God. It's found specifically in the person of Yahweh. And if you don't look to Him, the God of Israel, the God of our Lord Jesus, 
If you do not look to Him, you will not find knowledge and understanding and wisdom. For the Lord, Yahweh, gives wisdom. Moreover, he says from, Solomon says, from his mouth. This is getting as direct as possible. Solomon, who is an instrument of these Proverbs. Remember, he prayed for the wisdom and the Lord gave it to him. But Solomon acknowledged that even the wisdom that he gives, it does not come from Solomon's own mouth. It comes from the mouth of God. Recognizing God to be the very source of the words of the inspired Proverbs. This is so different from other wisdom speakers of ancient times. Take Socrates, for example, who lived 469 to 399 BC. Socrates, who did not acknowledge Yahweh, Socrates said this. He said, to know thyself is the beginning of wisdom. He traced the pursuit of wisdom to the center of man's soul. And that is so contrary to the biblical text. Job, for example, in Job 28, verses 12 to 23, says this, and I'll quote just a few of these words. Job says this, But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value nor is it found in the land of the living. And then he goes on, verse 23, God understands its way, and He knows its place. And so in recognition of this, we must acknowledge that man can only obtain wisdom by humbly and worshipfully acknowledging its source. Success in living in whatever circumstances you are in, will only come in response to this humble, worshipful recognition. And that's why Solomon goes on to say in Proverbs 9 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It will not come any other way. R.C. Sproul said this, People only have true understanding, wisdom, when they look at everything from God's perspective. Authentic wisdom begins when we understand that God is to be the object of our devotion, our adoration, and our reverence. You can't bypass this. You can't hope to circumvent it. It starts here, men. If you are to pursue wisdom, you will find success only through this worshipful, humble acknowledgement. He, that is, Yahweh, is the one with whom you have to deal. Number two, wisdom is offered to all without prejudice. You see, wisdom is not just offered by God to the elite, to the religious elite, to the social elite. Wisdom is specifically offered to the fools. When we read the book of Proverbs, you find this interesting, this interesting language. Solomon personifies wisdom. And he personifies wisdom as a 
street vendor, a female street vendor, someone, a lady who's selling her goods in the marketplace. We call this this language or this reference lady wisdom. Solomon describes lady wisdom calling out in public. She doesn't call out in the halls of the academy. She doesn't call out somewhere in secret. She is specifically calling out in the highways and the byways. She's calling out at the entrances to the gate. She's calling out in the marketplace, which means this, as Solomon describes it, the offer of wisdom, the invitation to become wise, is not just given to a few people. It's intended for all. Lady Wisdom, Lady Wisdom offers her blessing to all, especially the simple-minded, the naive ones, the scoffers and the fools. Look at this in Proverbs 1, verse 20 to 22. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Lady Wisdom recognizes that it is the sick who need the physician. And the offer of wisdom is, is not given to a select group, some people who have some special kind of training. You need to get a PhD or a Master of Divinity in some topic, uh, some area of biblical studies, and then you can become wise. No, the offer, the invitation is extended to all who have ears to hear. Ears to hear. Chapter 8, verse 3, does not wisdom, or verses 1 to 3, does not wisdom call? Does not wisdom or understanding lift up her voice? On top of the heights beside the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, at the opening to the city, at the entrance of the doors, she cries out. And that's an important reminder to remember. Some get through their lives and say, I just never had opportunity, just never knew. And that's just not true. To all of you here, wisdom is calling out. She is making her blessings available to you. But of course, the invitation requires a very important substantive first step. The invitation she gives is to turn. It's the Hebrew verb shuv, which means to return to or to repent. So notice what wisdom says to the naive, to the scoffer, to the mocker, to the fool. In chapter 1, verse 23, this is what wisdom says. Turn to my reproof. And behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Wisdom's call begins with the need for repentance. The need to recognize folly for what it is. To turn from it, acknowledging that its path leads to death. And to turn to wisdom, divine wisdom, the wisdom of God. And as those who have been recipients of the entire scriptures, this wisdom that is found in Jesus Christ. Turn to Him in whom are found all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Turn. There is this need for 
conversion. And when there is, wisdom promises blessing. Proverbs 8 verse 17, I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently find me. Those words can be paralleled to the concept of calling upon the name of the Lord. If you will call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved, says Joel. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved, says Paul in Romans 10. And wisdom here says, if you will turn to me, if you will love me, if you will seek me, you will find me. You will be saved. But notice this, Lady Wisdom is not the only voice that's out there. There is a significant competition for the attention of fools and the attention of naive ones and the attention of mockers and scoffers. There is significant competition in the marketplace of life. In fact, Solomon builds on this contrast in the first nine chapters of Proverbs. He goes back and forth between the two voices in particular that are calling. So, for example, in chapter 1, you have the call of sinners who entice the fools contrasted with the call of wisdom. And you can see that in chapter 1. In chapter 2, you begin with the call of wisdom and that is contrasted with the call of the forbidden woman. A particular problem among men. And these are antithetical. The call of wisdom or the call of the harlot. You also have the call of the adulteress in chapter 7. Contrasted with the call of wisdom in chapter 8. And again in chapter 9 you have the contrast of the call of wisdom versus the call of folly. And and this represents again the, the reality of living in the world outside of Eden. This is living in a sin-cursed world. You can't expect to hear just one voice. And in fact, you will hear a multiplicity of voices constantly drawing you away from Lady Wisdom. You cannot believe every invitation. You must listen carefully and always ask yourself, exactly what is enticing me? What is drawing me? There's never neutrality That's a myth. You're you're either being pulled towards the Lord or you're being pulled towards folly and the world. So ask yourself that question the next time a decision confronts you. Who is calling me? Train your ear to recognize the voice. It is the voice, is it the voice of Lady Wisdom or is it the voice of of Madame Folly. Who's calling? Number three. Our third characteristic is this. Wisdom is possible only for the humble. Wisdom is possible only for the humble. Wisdom originates in God. The invitation of wisdom is proclaimed to all without distinction... But then number three, it's possible to achieve this wisdom. It's possible to accept this call. It's possible to follow the, the, the invitation given only in the context of humility. How can we define humility? What is humility? You can define humility very simply by saying this. Humility is when we acknowledge that the authority for knowing what we know 
is found outside of ourselves. Humility is knowing that whatever I know is not due to my own strength. Whatever is true is not true because I say so. Humility is recognizing that authority exists or is seated outside of ourselves. That's where humility begins, that recognition in all aspects of life that the authority does not reside in me. Proverbs 11 verse 2 says this, When pride comes, then comes dishonor, but with the humble is wisdom. When pride comes, what is pride? Pride is exaggerated, presumptuous self-confidence. And that is contrasted with what Solomon says is the humble. What is associated with pride is dishonor. What is associated with the humble is wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom, or What is humble? Humble is modest, cautious, and lowly. Chapter 12, verse 15 says this, the, fool, uh, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. He, he listens to those outside of himself. He's not just listening to his own heart. He's silencing his heart, and he's listening to the sources of wisdom outside of himself. That's humility. Jay Packer said this, quote, Not until we have become humble and teachable, standing in awe of God's holiness and sovereignty, acknowledging our own littleness, distrusting our own thoughts, and willing to have our own minds turned upside down, can divine wisdom be ours, end quote. It's a great statement. Well, how do we test this? How, how do we know if we're humble? <laughs> After all, if you're humble, you certainly won't admit that you're humble. You won't state that you're humble. But, uh, but that doesn't help us. So how do we test and assess ourselves to know if we're on the right track? Let me give you just one simple test. There's many, but one simple test would be this. Your use of personal pronouns, of the the first person pronoun, singular. I, me, my. Take an inventory over the coming days as to the context of those pronouns. I, me, my. And let me give you this very simple test. If you're using those pronouns... Always in the sense of this positive idea. You're always attaching some kind of positive reverence in your use of I, me, my. That is a very good evidence that you're prideful and you're actually resistant to true wisdom. Conversely, If when you use those pronouns, I, me, my, and you're using them generally in a diminished sense, a lowly sense, you're connecting to them not reverence, but you're recognizing them for bankruptcy. If that's the case, then you can have a pretty good idea you're on the right track. That you have a humility that is showing itself in receptivity to wisdom and to the authority that is outside of you. Again, J.I. Packer said this, confidence 
that one's impressions are God-given is no guarantee that this is really so. Even when those impressions persist and grow stronger through long seasons of prayer, Bible-based wisdom must judge them. Notice what Packer is saying. He's saying you can have these great convictions and, and maybe these convictions grow over time, but how are those convictions growing? And if those convictions are only growing because of your own impressions and you're taking stock and, and, and you are putting a lot of weight upon your own spiritual disciplines, how you are so strong spiritually, so therefore your convictions must be right, Packer is saying no. That's not wisdom. Wisdom will grow in conviction, certainly, You need to grow in convictions. There is a certain word, a clear word that God has given, but it's going to come from the authority that is outside of yourself. It's going to come because of the Scriptures, not because of what seems best to you, even if you have prayed through that many hours. You've got to be able to trace your convictions to the authority that is outside of yourself, namely the authority in God's written word. Number four, wisdom not only originates in God, wisdom is offered to all without discrimination. Wisdom is acquired through self-abasement, through humility. But number four, wisdom is imparted through wise men. Wisdom is imparted through wise men. God uses instruments. Although, Although wisdom originates in God, it is In his design, it is imparted. This skill for living in all kinds of situations is imparted through other men, through channels, through human instruments. That's the way that God planned it. You could look at New Testament parallels of this concept. And how many times Paul said, imitate me, imitate me. Follow the pattern that you have in us. Is Paul being egotistical? No, but he's recognizing that wisdom comes through other men. It comes through those who are following Christ. As Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. In the book of Proverbs, we see this truth in these verses. Proverbs 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Now, it's antithetical to the first half of this verse. It's not his own counsel. It's not the counsel of his own heart. It's not the counsel of his own understanding. It's exactly contradictory or antithetical to his own eyes. So this counsel is coming from others. It's coming from wise men. Proverbs 13, verse 14, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. Not just for them, but it's a fountain of life for all of those who come to drink from them. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, Solomon says, to turn aside from the snares of death. Proverbs 13, verse 20, we have all heard this one. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. We could look at Proverbs 15, verse 31. Proverbs 19, verse 20. 
Or Proverbs 22, verses 17 to 18. Over and over and over, we have these references that, that wisdom is gained through the words of wise men, through their counsel, through their instruction. And what Solomon is pointing at here is what we call the law of assimilation. Remember that. The law of assimilation. It is just as important of a law as the law of cause and effect. I've mentioned that before. A very important emphasis by Solomon is the law of cause and effect. You reap what you sow. Recognize that there are consequences to your actions, to your decisions. There are consequences to your thoughts. Understand that. But here we have another law that is emphasized by Solomon, and it's so very important in the pursuit of wisdom. And it's called the law of assimilation. The law of assimilation. What is the law of assimilation? You can define it this way. You assimilate or you absorb the convictions, the attitudes, and the behaviors of those with whom you most closely associate. Let me say that again. You assimilate the convictions, attitudes, and behaviors of those with whom you most closely associate. These are the influencers. These can include friends and do include your friends, your heroes, your favorite musicians, the the news pundits that you listen to every day, the the social media accounts that you visit, your favorite preachers and writers, etc. These are all influencers and you have to recognize this law. You become or, or you assimilate the convictions, the attitudes, the behaviors of of those with whom you most closely associate. So think, who are the influencers? With whom are you associating? It's interesting to note this even includes things like vocabulary and speech patterns and tastes and opinions. You see this, you see this with seminary students, how they try to, how they try to imitate Pastor John. And that's not a bad thing because they're showing that this law of assimilation is at work. They, 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 they respect Pastor John, and so you'll see that some of the same ways of saying things will come through in, the, in, their, in their preaching and their teaching and, and so on and so forth. The law of assimilation. Now, the most basic form in the pursuit of wisdom in, in this law of assimilation, the most noble, simplest form that God has created is in the father-son relationship. That God has designed it. That sons are to absorb their father's convictions and behaviors and attitudes. And when that happens in the good sense, when the father demonstrates wisdom and the the son sees it, he absorbs it. And the the book of Proverbs is is, is about that. And that's why you see this massive tendency that, that children become believers at early ages through the influence of godly dads. That's the law at work. But understand this, the the converse works as well. And if you're going to be an example of folly, understand the law of assimilation is at work in the relationship that you have with your son. What is he going to absorb? Your foolish convictions, your foolish behaviors, your foolish approaches to life, your foolish words, your foolish ways of dealing with people. It's the law of assimilation. God has given you children who are going to absorb that like a sponge. It's important to recognize that. To realize that you've got an immense, amazing power and potential by getting on this early in life. And to recognize that wisdom 
is absorbed. It's, it's caught in the context of a godly dad pursuing wisdom himself. And you see that over and over in Proverbs 3 verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Repeated over and over again. My son, my son, my son, listen, keep, obey. Over and over again. Chapter 4 and so on and so forth. You see, young men need their dads. Young boys need their dads. You don't need to preach a sermon to them every day. They need to see wisdom in action. But even beyond that, young men, you may not have had the the blessing of a godly dad. But you know what? Look around you. There are many godly spiritual fathers for you in this context. And if you're serious about the pursuit of wisdom, you will recognize that it comes through the instrumentality of other men. You can't be a lone ranger in this. You can't set out to do this on your own. Listen, God has provided you with this context. We call it the church. And through the church is where you're going to learn wisdom. You're going to learn that skill. I like what Martin Luther said. He said this, If you young fellows were wise, the devil couldn't do anything to you. But since you aren't wise, you need us who are old. And look around and you see a lot of gray hairs here, which is marvelous. And you see a lot of young people. And I want to say this to you young people. You've got to attach yourself to these gray-haired men. And you've got to assimilate. You've got to absorb. That's how you'll gain wisdom. It's God's design. Number five. It is acquired with difficulty. Acquiring wisdom, even if you find that wise man or wise men with whom to associate and from whom to assimilate your convictions and your behaviors and attitudes and so on, it still is nonetheless acquired with difficulty. Solomon places the responsibility to acquire wisdom squarely on the shoulders of each individual. It's your responsibility you have it on your shoulders. It's not, a, it's not something that you just kind of move around in the group with. And so if you're in a group of guys, you'll just do what they do. No, you've got to say to yourself before the Lord, this is my responsibility. I have to do this. Secondly, it means that this effort is never passive. It always includes hardship and pain. It has to be active. And if you are serious about wisdom, it means you've got to, you've got to knock on doors. And sometimes you even got to bang them down and say, I need help. You know, sometimes when men will come up to me and they'll say, I, I, you know, I really need wisdom. I'd, I'd like to, 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 to learn. And, and sometimes the response is, okay, let's see where you are at in three or four weeks from now. And it kind of diminishes. And I realize, you know, they weren't serious. They wanted me to do all the work. They just wanted to be passive. Just, just make me wisdom. Or just make me wise. Just kind of, you know. You know, that kind of a thing. Lay your hands on me. That kind of a thing. That won't work, I can tell you that. It's got to be through your own active pursuit. Take it upon yourself through blood, sweat, and, gears, blood, sweat, and tears that some way you will get wisdom no matter what. You're willing to pay the price. And finally, this is a long life pursuit. It never ends. You have to have perseverance. Notice Proverbs 9 verse 8. And here we have some of the pain involved. 
Proverbs 9, verse 8, do not reprove a scoffer. He will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. These aren't just flowery words. Reprove. This is painful. Reprove a wise man. Proverbs 13, verse 1, a wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Proverbs 19, verse 20, listen to, the, to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. Proverbs 19, verse 27, cease listening, my son, to discipline, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. Over and over and over again, you see this word discipline and reproof. These are not easy words. These are pain-invested words. In fact, this word discipline has the idea of chastisement for training and warning. It's especially found in child-rearing contexts, but not limited to those And it implies this idea of both, with children, with both verbal and corporal correction. It involves both warning and chastisement verbally as well as the rod. That if you're serious about wisdom, you'll use the means that God has given you to instruct in wisdom. And it's so serious, it's such a life and death issue that you've got to use all of the arrows in the quiver. And even for us who are older... If we're serious about it, we're going to open ourselves up to that rebuke. We're not going to get offended. We're going to welcome it. We're going to create that context where other men can come to us and say very direct words, brother, that was not right. And we will not respond with with self-justification or blame shifting. We will say, thank you, I need that, help me. There's a few other principles here. I won't go through these. You can go through them on your own. Number six, another truth about wisdom is that it's more valuable than wealth. You can look at Proverbs 3, 13 to 15 or 8, verses 10 to 11. Many Proverbs that state that wisdom is so much greater than the greatest material wealth that you could find. And if you believe that, it's going to show If you believe that wisdom is really more important than material wealth, it's going to show in your priorities. It's going to show in your pocketbook. It's going to show in your bank account. It's going to show in your priorities, your schedule, your agendas. If you really believe that wisdom is worth more than gold, it will somewhere show up in your life that you will make the necessary changes to pursue this wisdom. Number seven... Wisdom manifests itself in righteousness in the same way that a fool doesn't remain hidden. He just needs to start speaking and it's very clear that he's a fool. So in the same way, wisdom cannot be kept under a under bowl. Wisdom doesn't remain in the darkness. It cannot help but manifest itself and it manifests itself in justice and dignity, truthfulness and simplicity. Look at Proverbs 8, verses 6 to 9, and you can read those words about how wisdom describes the result that takes place when men pursue her. Justice, dignity, truthfulness, simplicity. You could look at James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. James is the book that's most like the book of Proverbs, the book that is in the New Testament, most like the book of Proverbs in the Old. And 
James talks about how wisdom manifests itself in deeds of gentleness. The wisdom from above is not jealous or selfish. The wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. If you're truly wise, it's going to evidence itself. It can't be kept hidden. And so if someone looks at you and, 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 and is surprised to learn that you're pursuing wisdom, it's a good indication that you haven't been that successful. But there's no need to tell someone that you're pursuing wisdom if you are finding success. It'll make itself known. Finally, or number eight, it yields rewards. There's many rewards that come from wisdom, and you can look at those on your own in the notes. Finally, number nine, it spreads joy. Wisdom leaves the opposite of collateral damage. Everyone wants to live beside a wise man. Everyone wants to be in the car of the wise man. Everyone wants to be in that circle because there's no collateral damage. There's blessing, there's joy, there's safety and security. Proverbs 15 verse 20, 23 verse 15 and others. So we end with this question, are you pursuing wisdom? As you look at these nine characteristics, as we draw our study to a close on this topic, examine yourself. And we're going to end with a hymn that is familiar to us, a hymn that expresses our prayer that God would be our vision. And and specifically note stanza 2. This must be our prayer. Be thou my wisdom, and thou my true word. I ever with thee, and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father, I thy true Son. Thou in me dwelling, and I with thee one.